Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, I'd like to welcome you here to this Easter service. How many of you are excited for the good weather that you have outside for later today? You're excited about that? Yeah, I thought so. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to get right into our text this morning. I only have eight verses for you, but I have a normal sermon. And I have a sermon that hopefully that you can open your hearts to, you can open your minds to, and you'll be able to see something because seeing is believing. Look at the person next to you and say, seeing is believing. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to be in John's gospel. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 20, and I'm only going to be reading for you this morning the first eight verses. So starting at the top of chapter 20, this is what it says. It says, early on the first day of the week. Is this the first day of the week? Yes, it is. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, who is John. If you were here last week and we talked about the relationship between Jesus and John, and we said John was indeed Jesus's BFF. He was his best friend. So the other disciple and the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus's head. I wish I had time to give you a whole sermon on that because it's pretty amazing. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. This is our word this morning. This is the passage that we're going to be looking. But I would like to first uh, confess something to you. And I don't know, and may maybe some of you can relate to this. Anybody in here, you are a terrible predictor of things that are going to happen. Anybody, you're a terrible predictor. All right, you're in church on Easter and most of you are lying because I saw about two or three hands. I'm not, I'm not one of three people in the church this morning that is not a good predictor. Let me give you some examples. I remember some years ago, uh, I was looking up something on the internet and somebody, one of my colleagues, I'm also, if you don't know, I'm a pastor and I'm also a high school history teacher. So I live in two different worlds. And uh, one of my colleagues, uh, they said to me, hey, you got to check out, you got to go out, you got to check out this Google thing online. And I'm like, what's Google? I'm like, I don't use Google. I use Ask Jeeves. Ask Jeeves is the way to go. How many of you remember that back in the day? Ask Jeeves. I'm like, this Google thing isn't going to be around too long. How wrong was I? I remember even years before that, I remember when DVDs first came out. And I said, these little discs are never going to last. I want my VHS tape. I'm not giving up, right? When you, I'm not, come on, I'm not the only one. I said, these DVDs are never going to make it. The VHS tapes, that's what you want, right? Not, I'm like an anti-oracle, right? I just, you know, whatever I think. And if there are like sporting events, anybody that knows me well, right? If you're like, hey, who's, you think the Giants are going to win this week? I won't even go on the Jets because that's easy. The Jets usually lose. But when it comes to something like the Giants, right? 
If I say the Giants are going to win, right, you just know the Giants are going to lose or the opposite, right? You with me on that? Maybe some of you are the same way. DePaul University, they did a fascinating study. Even if you're not a sports fan, how many of you enjoy, again, even if you're not a sports fan, but it's people seem to really like this, the, the NCAA basketball. How many of you just concluded a few weeks ago? None of you like it? Okay, none of you? Well, in the basketball tournament, this is what they did. They did a study on what are the odds that someone could actually pick all of those games right. Three weeks worth of games. Three weeks worth of games that you could pick. There are 64 teams. Could you pick all of those games? How many of you know the name Warren Buffett? Yeah, yeah, right, right. One of the wealthiest people on the planet, all right? And what's interesting is, if you don't know this, some of you probably heard this, in 2014, Warren Buffett offered $1 billion to anyone that could correctly predict all of the games in the NCAA basketball tournament. All of them. He understood, he's smart, he's not looking to give away a billion dollars, but he knew nobody was going to do it. And then every year since then, this year, you know what it was? If you picked all of those games, a million dollars a year for life if you picked off. You could predict all of those games. You get a million bucks a year, right? It's pretty cool, pretty interesting. Yeah, 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 as you guessed it, nobody, nobody has done it. It's never going to happen. You can try if you want next year, but you're not going to win. And what's wild, though, this is what DePaul University said were the odds. I don't even know how to say this number to you. Look at this number on the screen. However you say that number, to one, those are, according to DePaul University study, those are your odds of actually winning. You feel pretty good about yourselves now, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you're here on Easter Sunday, and I imagine you didn't come here to hear about odds of winning a basketball pool, a bracket pool. But let me tell you, there was another study that was done. And you know what this study was about? This study was about biblical prophecy, And what they did is they said, we want to look at what are the chances that one human being, listen to me, friends, one human being could fulfill not a ton, only eight of the Old Testament prophecies, the Messiah, the savior of the world. When they come into the world, what are the odds that now there are, if you don't, you know, I'm a student of history. I'm a student of church history. I'm a student of archaeology. I love this stuff. There are 60 major prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about what will happen in the New Testament, about a a Messiah, a savior coming into the world. They only chose eight and there are about 360 major, right? You with me? So they said, what are the chances that one person could fulfill just eight of them? And then there was a mathematician. His name was Peter Stoner. And Stoner said, interesting name. And Stoner said, I'm going to look at this. I'm going to try to figure this out mathematically. And this is what he came up with. He said, this would be akin to take the whole state of Texas, that one person would fulfill only eight of the Old Testament prophecies. Take the whole state of Texas. And here's the number. Can I show you what the number looks like? This is 100 million billion, 17 zeros. Those are the chances, right? To one, that one person could fulfill only eight of the Old Testament prophecies. 
He said that is akin to somebody being blindfolded and going to the state of Texas. And in the state of Texas, you'd have enough 100 million billion to stack up two feet high across every square inch of the entire state of Texas, silver dollars. And that would be akin to taking somebody, blindfolding them and say, you walk wherever you want within the state of Texas, you get one shot. You pick one of those silver dollars that's marked. If you just happen to pick that one, those are the chances. I'm here this morning to tell you about a prediction. You see, some of you think, and I know it because it's Easter Sunday, and there are some of you in this room today that think that this stuff that we're talking about is a bunch of fairy tales and it's a bunch of fables. I'll throw it out there. Because there are people that believe that. And I would say to you, there was a prophet in the Old Testament named Micah. And Micah prophesied 300 years before Jesus Christ was ever born. He prophesied where he would be born. He was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. There was another prophet. His name was David. And David was a king. David became a king. A thousand years before Jesus Christ was ever born, he predicted the method of execution that the Romans would use before that method was ever invented. 500 years before Jesus Christ ever was born into the world, there was a man named Daniel, and he said exactly when it would happen. 700 years before Jesus Christ was born into the world, there was a prophet by the name of Isaiah, and Isaiah said, there will be a virgin birth. I am up here today on this Easter Sunday. I'm a believer. I'm a preacher, because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that who Jesus Christ said he is, not was, who he is, is who he said he is. Don't you go telling me that the Bible is a bunch of fairy tales and it's folklore. Have you researched the Bible? All of those predictions have come true. And if those predictions, friends, if those predictions have come true, then we have to evaluate how we live our lives. Jesus Christ was a bracket buster. He was a bracket buster. And people missed it and people still miss it. They still miss who he is. All of the sages through the ages, they were talking about what was going to happen, where it was going to happen, when it was going to happen and how it was going to happen. But sometimes we miss it. And here we are. Here we are in this story in John chapter 20. We see that first the women go to the tomb. We know in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the other gospels, we know that other women went, not just Mary Magdalene, and they're going, they head to the tomb. And they're going to the tomb. How many of you know Jesus would never be caught in a dead, in a tomb. Jesus was never going to be caught dead living in a tomb. He only goes to places where there is life. No one was ever going to catch him there in that tomb. And so you have these women, these women, they travel to the tomb and, and understand this. Jesus had predicted, friends, if you, you don't know the Bible, that's fine. Jesus had predicted in Mark's gospel alone, he had predicted at least three times, right? That he would be betrayed into the hands of sinners. And that he was going to die, but three days later he would rise again. And he would say it, and they missed it, and they missed it. This person that they followed, this person that they revered, this person that they loved, they missed it. They didn't understand. They were walking with him every step of the way, but they missed it that the Messiah was right in front of them. 
And then what do they do, friends? They run back. The women run back. And they run back and they, they want to tell the men. The text told us that they ran back and they tell John and they tell Peter and they tell the other disciples. They're holed up. They're afraid for their lives. We were at the cross last week with John. Who was the, These disciples are in the upper room and they're afraid for their lives. They don't know what's going to happen. Are they going to meet the same fate that Jesus met? But when they went to the tomb, do you understand something? The first time you look at something, your perspective may not be right. They went to the tomb and they saw, they said, somebody has taken the body of Jesus. I would say to you this morning, sometimes how you look at life, your first perspective is not always right. You may think that your life is in the toilet right now. You may think that your life is busted. You may think that you have no chance of anything. But I would tell you, you better look again because there is a God who knows you. There is a God who understands. And there is a God that came out of that tomb and wants to give us real life. A new outlook. And by the time John, I don't know what you think when you read this. Did you know John, when he's writing his gospel, this is the last gospel to be written. We said that last week. This is the last one to be written. He's, most scholars will say that he's in his 80s. He's Papa John, right? He's, he's got that, you know, that old grandpa vibe that you have, right? Pastor Joe has, right? I don't have it. I'm a dad. I don't have the grandfather vibe, but he's got that old vibe, right? And here is Papa Jay, and he's looking back on life, right? And he's looking back at the, the event that, that changed all of history. And he's saying, yeah, yeah, I remember that day. How amazing that day was. And then he's running with Peter. Can I talk about John and Peter a little bit? I talked a lot about John last week. I didn't talk much about Peter. These guys are lifelong friends. It says that they ran to the tomb together. Did you know, again, it doesn't matter what you know about them. You don't have to know anything. You just listen. These two guys that are running to the tomb, they were probably lifelong friends. Let's just say they were. You know what one of my problems, can I say this on Easter Sunday? One of my problems is when we read the Bible, I know why a lot of people don't read it. We don't use our imagination. We don't put ourselves in the stories. John and Peter, you heard that passage, you're like, yeah, they ran to the tomb. Great, they ran to the tomb. That's awesome. Nobody's there, right? You check it out. These guys had been with the Messiah for over three years. These two guys were lifelong friends when Jesus walks along the shore of Galilee, right? And he calls them and he calls to James and John and he goes up a little bit ahead and he calls to Peter and Andrew. These guys are always talked about together in the Gospels because you know what I want to tell you? They were great friends, but I bet they teased each other. Can you imagine the times when, when maybe John said to Peter, dude, your voice, like they're young, dude, your voice is changing. What's going on with you, right? These guys went through puberty. What about, they, you know, whose beard came in first and maybe a little patchy here and they'd rip on each other or dude, what are you dating that girl for? What's wrong with you? What are you seeing her? Real human beings. And they walked with the Messiah for three years. What's going on inside of their heads As they're running to the tomb, I'll tell you, their hearts, their hearts are racing. The hearts are pounding and they're racing and the adrenaline is flowing and they're asking questions and they have fear and they have anxiety. They don't understand. They don't know what's going on. And they have so many questions. And how about what, what John says? Did you notice this in the text? It says that the one that Jesus loved outran the other one to the tomb right do you see that 
Isn't that kind of cool? Can't you just picture the chariots of we I had the chariots of fire music on, I don't know, it's not working. But can you imagine it? Dun, 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 dun. There it is! There it is! Can you imagine? There it is! There's John, he's running, he's looking back. He's like, you're not catching me today, brother. I'm getting to the tomb. And there's Peter, there's Peter behind him. He's like, I gotta get there first. I always get there first. I'm always the one. I'm the one that jumped out of the boat. It's me, I'm gonna get there first, right? And John gets to the tomb, right? Thanks, Scotty. Good job. I'm a little out of breath, right? You You know how long of a run it was? You miss this when you read the text. Scholars say it was a mile and a half. In sandals, nonetheless. Yeah. I would love to see that. And they're booking in their sandals. Mile and a half. So say, what did it take? I don't know if they're in good shape. You know, we, John is the youngest of all this, the disciples. We talked about it last week. I don't have time to tell you how that is, but just that's the case. So a mile and a half. And then they get there and they're, they're sitting there. They're at the tomb. And how wild is that? Because they couldn't take what the women had told them. That was their perspective, the women, but they had to see for themselves. Are you with me? They couldn't take what somebody told them. And let me tell you this morning, you need to have your own encounter with God. You can't have my encounter and you can't have your parents encounter and you can't have a sibling's encounter. You need your own encounter with God. And for some of you you may say, you know what? This is pretty boring stuff. And I'm here and I would say to you, you're ready. It's time. Why can't it be today that you have an encounter with the almighty living God? Oh, I'm just getting warmed up. I'm just getting warmed up. Is faith supposed to be like an heirloom? What do you mean by that, Pastor? I'll tell you what I mean. You could say, you know what? I've been at church. My, I, I was in church as a kid. The faith was passed down to me. I went as a kid. I have faith. And I would say to you this morning, is faith supposed to be an heirloom that we pull out maybe a couple of times a year? Is that what it's supposed to be? Hey, no, no, let me paint it like this. I was in, and here's where the illustration originated. I'm in my basement recently, not too long ago. And my basement on one side is a mess. Like the, un, not the finished, the unfinished side is a, is a mess. Okay. I don't want any of you to come in and see. It's a disaster. Stuff everywhere. I don't need Christmas stuff, Thanksgiving. I'm falling, like tripping, moving around. Well, in the basement, I saw stuff. We have been married 13 years. The other night, I knew our, you asked me when our, how many years have we been married? I knew almost 13, it's just a side note, <laughs> almost 13 years, right? We've been married. I found stuff plates maybe we used twice in the 13 years of our marriage. The china, now listen, the china's beautiful, it's really pretty, but it was packed away. It's gorgeous, it looks nice, but is that what our faith is supposed to be like? That we pull it out on Christmas and Easter, and then when Christmas ends and when Easter ends, we just put it back in the box and we put it away and we say, I'll pick it up again next year? I could drop the mic right there. No, I could drop right there. Yay, I'm challenging, I'm challenging us this morning. Because there is more. I don't want that kind of faith. I want a durable faith. I want a faith that makes it into Monday. I want a faith that can stand the test of Tuesday. I want a faith that works on Wednesday. I want a faith that can stand trials on Thursday. I want a faith that fights on Friday. And I want a faith that stands on Saturday. Faith. Does anybody have faith? 
Does anybody have faith? And what has your faith done for you lately? What has your faith done for you lately? Faith is more than, than accessing something in the time that you have a crisis in your life. Because crises will come. Faith is more than you, you, you have to maybe get more tests and you want to check into that. No, no. Faith is something more than that. Faith is something that is meant to be used every single day. I have another plate. And I'm embarrassed to say this to you. and my, You don't even know this. You know, you know where I'm going? I have a plate in my house and I just found out about this. This is my favorite plate. I eat off of this plate every single day. And then recently, my wife, unbeknownst to me, I didn't realize she bought the plate. Guess where she bought it? Come on, if you know me, Disney World. I eat off a Disney plate. I want a faith. Listen to me. I want a faith that I can eat off of every single day. I want a faith or even a paper plate faith, a faith that I can use, a faith that I can use every single day that I don't put away, that I pull out every single day, a real, a genuine faith. Does anybody have faith? Maybe you didn't get that illustration, so I'm going to give you another one. I'll hold off on that a second. How many of you are um, getting ready for the summer in terms of fitness? Anybody getting fit? Now, I came to church this morning. I came to church this morning, wanted to hear about the message, wanted to hear about the gospel. I didn't need to hear about my exercise routine or lack thereof. How many of you, come on, man, you do it, right? Doing some crunches, right? Some of you are like, no, I'm doing like Nestle crunches, but not regular crunches. So what I'm talking about, like, right, real working out. And, and maybe you have like a Fitbit, right? Maybe you're looking to get in shape for this. Come on, people, that's what you do, right? You're looking to get in shape for the summer. Well, I was thinking a lot about it. Many of you know, I, I can be kind of like a, a fitness Pharisee. I didn't know how else to like, to call it, right? You go, did you ever go to the gym and you watch people sometimes? And I'm like, what is, what is that? What is that guy? What are they doing? What is that? What, what are they working on? What body part are they exercising? Right? You with me? I'm not, if that's you, I'm sorry. There wasn't a lot of laughter. So I'm imagining maybe that was, I didn't mean to offend you. Please, please. That's not my goal. But it's interesting. And there are different, did you know, there are different like methods when it comes to working out. Cause it's some people that go to the gym and they're punishers. Some people are, and some of you, I know where's is Kate Roy here. Kate Roy is a trainer. I was thinking you're a punisher worked out with you years ago. I'll never work out with you ever again, ever. Don't ever ask me to work out with you. It won't happen. There are some people, right, they're punishers at the gym, and they're, they're, they're pretty crazy. And then you have other people, you're more into the beach body workout, right? You have some people, and they're doing the tricep, and they're in the mirror, and they're, like, flexing a little bit. And, and they, like, don't want to see you know, anybody going to see me, and they're, like, flexing, right? You know what I'm talking about? There are different kinds of workouts. How about this? Can I, can I digress for a second and tell you? This is a funny story I've always wanted to use. I'm making this fit into my sermon. Last year, went to Disney, right? We're in Disney. And I had to work out. I, I bug out. I literally will snap out. If, if I go like three or four days without some form of exercise, am I fun to live with? No. So there we are in Disney, right? I said, I got I to gotta work out here somewhere. I go to the Planet Fitness, right? That's in Orlando. And I go in and I'm working out. <laughs> I'm, so I'm saying, I'm like a fitness Pharisee. Some dude has the nerve, I'm in church, has the nerve to come up to me and tell me that I'm not working out properly. You know, pal, you're not going deep enough on your squats. <laughs> 
And I'm like, dude, I'm 40-something years old. I'm, he was like 20-something years old. And this guy's giving me all of this advice on how to work out. Did I, we're in the, and if you've never been to a Planet Fitness, judgment-free zone. Hey, buddy, read the sign. Judgment-free zone. You're judging me. Right? Crazy. No, it gets worse. I'm not done yet. He leaves me alone. I start working out. I'm doing this set in dumbbells. I put the weights down and the lunk alarm goes off. Now I'm going, is there a fire in the place? I'm going, is there a fire in this place right now? What's going, why is that? I didn't even know those things work, right? So I don't think anything of it. I just continue to work out. I do another set and then I dropped, I didn't slam the weights, okay? I promise you, I'm not lying to you. As, As one of your pastors, I didn't slam the weights. Do you believe me? Okay, I put the weights down. The lunk alarm goes off again. I'm not exaggerating. I am not embellishing. And some guy in the middle of the whole gym walks up to me and he says, Hey, pal, you're dropping the weights. That's why the lunk alarm went off. You know what a lunk is? Let me tell you, first of all, I'm not a lunk. A lunk is somebody who walks into the gym with the gallon container of water and they have the gloves and they have the belt on. I don't walk in like a lunk. I don't work out like a lunk. Dude, I'm not a lunk. I feel so good that I got that off my chest. I can go on with my sermon, right? Megan, let me, let me take this though. And a couple of years ago, my buddy Rob is here and he knows a heck of a lot more about fitness and training than I do. This is what is known as a kettlebell. Yeah, I use the pink one and it's my wife's. Don't you judge me again, right? You're ready to judge me, right? You're ready. So here I am, right? My buddy, a colleague, you know who I'm talking, a couple of years ago, he's like trained in all this stuff that, with these kettlebells. And I used the, I took a five pound kettlebell on purpose, right? There was no way I was bringing like a heavy one in church here. How many of you are familiar? There's a new term in fitness called functional fitness. How many of you have heard of that before? It's kind of a very vague term. And functional fitness, there are two things, accessibility and application. What do I mean by that? You know, there's CrossFit, there's all different types of training methods. What functional training is, You do activities that mirror real life. So you do all, listen, there's some, he showed me one. It was like this Turkish getup. And I'm like, dude, anytime there is a name of a movement that originates with an Eastern European country, rebel, you rebel against that movement. Not good. So there's all these movements that you jump, you know, going up and down and this and that all over the place. And I'm like, I'm never using a kettlebell ever again. But a lot of people, how many of you use these? I see some hands over there. I see a couple of hands. That's okay. See a couple of hands, right? You use kettlebells. Again, accessibility and application. How does the movement mirror real life? I would say to us, yeah, we're having some fun, but I would say to you right now to get serious, how is your functional faith? I want a faith that mirrors real life. I don't want a faith that I just pull out once or twice or three times a year. I want a faith that I'm able to use wherever I go. I want a faith. Wait a second. I want a faith that is not hostage to the outcome of my situation. I want a faith that if my body is not working right, it doesn't change the object of my faith. 
If my marriage is not going the way I want it to go, that doesn't change my faith. I'm not hostage to an outcome. If my seven-year-old, when my seven-year-old is disrespectful and I don't understand why, it still doesn't change my faith. I'm not moved by the outcome. But I want a faith that mirrors real life. I want a functional faith, a faith I can use every single day. You just listen to me. Listen to me. You just have to know what to do with it. That's the key with this. And he, you know what he said to me? You know what my friend said to me? He goes, I could take this one piece of equipment and I could kick your butt with it. I don't need anything else. He said, I don't need anything else. You just have to know how to use it. And I would say to you, we get so caught up and you have to know all this knowledge. You have to have all this equipment in the faith. I would say to us this morning, all you need is one verse, a rhema word from God that can change your life and change your situation. You get a verse and you stand on it and you trust God because God has given us promises. Promises. Did you know that's his, that's like his last will. The Bible is his last will and testament. These are things that you can do. These are promises that you can stand on. The problem is we haven't stood on them. So I want a faith that is functional in every single way. Can we get back to the story now? So there are John and Peter, right? And they run up to the tomb. Did you notice that there is John? Can we pretend that this is the tomb right here? And what do we see? We see that John gets to the tomb first. And he kind of looks in. Now, I've been to Israel. I was there two years ago. And if you didn't know this, there are two sites. The Catholics believe the tomb is here. And the Protestants believe it's over here. The, and, and not to blow, burst your bubble, but the Protestant one that you go to, eh, it's probably the Catholic one. Okay? All right, let's just leave it at that. And there's a lot of history with that. But interesting. So there is John, right? And he goes and he glances in at the tomb. He doesn't go in. Is that some of us in our faith today? You have come to the tomb. You have been to church services. You have come for Christmas before. You have come for Easter. You have come for maybe other times. But you have stood outside of the tomb and you've kind of looked in. And from his perspective, he sees where the the clothes are. He sees them, but he doesn't want to go in. He's glancing at it. He's peeping at it. And then when you look in 25, look at this. It says he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Do you know what that word underline means? You know what that word looked means? In Greek, you know what it means? It means he looked with his eyes. Okay? It literally, all it does is, that's physical sight. That's all that word means. He looked in with his two eyes and he saw. That was his perspective. And did you know you're not supposed to be able to look into tombs? The resurrection revealed what was concealed. The resurrection revealed what was concealed inside of the tomb. John got to see what was inside of it. This is a tomb with a view. Tomb with a view. And then how about Peter? Don't you love Peter? Doesn't Peter always, he's the impulsive one. He's the impulsive one. He always goes, right, he's the first guy to get out of the boat. Peter doesn't wait around. Peter gets there. John's probably, (laughs) John's out of breath. And there's Peter. And what does Peter do? Peter goes right in. Peter doesn't wait. Peter goes in. He doesn't stand outside. He wants to find out for himself. So he goes inside the tomb. That's what we need to do. Maybe you've never went inside, but this is the year you're going inside the tomb. 
You got to go. You have to go in the tomb and you have to investigate. You have to check it out for yourself. And then look what it says in 28. It says two words that are just bombs. Finally, the other disciple, John again, right? Who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. This word saw is different than the other one. This word in Greek means he scrutinized. Which it means he came and he looked. He saw it the first time with his physical eyes. But the second time he saw it with his heart. And it says, finally, John talking about himself. He's the author of this book. He's letting us know, I stood outside the tomb for a long time. I stood out there and I'm waiting and I'm pondering and I'm trying to see what's going on. But he eventually, he saw it different. He's trying to figure it out. But some things in life, you can't figure out from the outside. You have to go in. You can't figure things out from the outside. You have to go in. And the invitation to come inside is for all of us. And John gets a new point of view. A new perspective. Can I tell you, you come to church and you hear a lot. You know what? You become a Christian, you get a new life. Yes, it's the exchange life. There's another life. Christ's life can live inside of us. And he lives and he moves and he has his being. He he does, yes. But it's a new lens by which we see everything. Did you know? Can you please? This is something we have to see. The resurrection is not an event. It is an outlook on how we see every part of life. Easter is one day. It's we're supposed to be an Easter people. It's supposed to be an outlook that we carry into tomorrow, that we carry into Tuesday, that you carry into next week, that you carry into the next month, that you just keep carrying all the time. But unfortunately, we only look at it as one day. Friends, when I see the empty tomb, I don't see emptiness. I see a future. I see a, I see a hope. I see, I see possibility. You know what C.S. Lewis said? Look at this. This is unbelievable. Lewis said, the world offers promises full of emptiness, but Easter offers emptiness full of promise. How good is that, friends? How good is that this morning? How true is that? Because there's an empty cross. There's an empty tomb. There are empty grave clothes, all full of promise. And if I was writing this story, I don't think I would write it this way. It's paradoxical, that which is empty. We live in a world that makes a lot of promise, smoke and mirrors, right? Don't you, can't you see that? Frantic, cartoonish attempts to fill the void in our soul. And the world is constantly telling us, fill it with this, pour a little bit of this in and you'll find happiness. Did you know that it's an infinite chasm, it's an infinite hole that is there and that which is infinite can't be filled by something that is finite. It has to be filled by something else that is infinite and that which is infinite is God. God is the only thing that can fill that. We have to leave empty spaces this Easter, friends. We have to leave empty spaces and our faith has to be a new way of seeing the world. We don't walk by sight. We don't walk by sight. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Substance. I mean, I wish I had time to get into that, but that's for another day. Can I leave you now with a story? I'm not preaching a long sermon today. I think you're getting the point. I think I'm giving you the point. But let me, I want to end with a story that my sister had passed on to me uh, recently. And I said, I don't know how I can refrain from using this in an Easter sermon because it is just, it's awesome. There's no other word for it. The story happened in December of 2016 in Bayetteville, North Carolina.
And here's how the story went. A man by the name of Joe Sperna uh, was convicted. Well, actually, I'll give you the background before that. Some years before this happened in 2016, Joe Sperna was convicted of a uh, drunk driving incident. Was was, uh, clearly intoxicated. uh, And as part of his plea bargain here, he was given probation. And he was given probation... And what was interesting about this is sometime later, he broke his probation because he was caught drinking and he goes before the judge. And here's the best part of the story. You see, Joe Sperna was actually a decorated war veteran. He served three tours in Afghanistan, two purple hearts. Did you hear me? Not one purple heart, two purple hearts. He survived an IED explosion when he was with his platoon of men and they were crossing a bridge and a bomb went off and detonated and the whole car that they were in went right into the creek. The water started to rise. He was still conscious. Many of his comrades, his, his, the other soldiers with him, they were killed instantly. He was alive and the water was starting to rise and he couldn't get out. And it went to his knees and then the water went up to his waist and then it went up to his shoulders and it stopped right at his chin. He was the only soldier to live from the accident. The only one. Imagine living with that. When he came home, he suffered. He was claustrophobic. He suffered from PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome. Right? In every which way, this man was wounded from what he saw in action. And the judge knew his background. The judge knew his story, but he also knew that Joe was guilty. He said, no, 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 you broke your parole. You are indeed guilty, my friend. He sentences Joe, the the, the, uh, judge's name is Joe Oliveri. He sentences Joe Sperna to one night in jail. Here is a picture. Here is a picture of the actual jail cell. Now, remember what I told you. Here is a man that has been so wounded in war. He's claustrophobic, hates confined spaces. He's put inside of this jail cell. And the amazing part of the story is, since the judge knew his background, the judge said, I'm going to spend the night in jail with him. Here is a picture of Joe Oliveri. If you can see it, the man in the yellow shirt, that is, it's hard to see. It's the best picture I could get. Joe Oliveri, this judge, is walking into the jail cell and says, I will spend the entire night with Joe Sperna. He said, I couldn't do anything otherwise because I knew what this man's story was. I knew what this man had been through. And then they talk about it in the interview, right? And Oliveri says, yeah, we sat there. We talked about our families. We ate meatloaf together. And then Sperna says, after a little while... It was as if the walls disappeared because there was somebody else that was in the cell with him. And here's a picture the next day. Here's a picture the next day as these two gentlemen, there is on Sperna is on my right. And there's the judge, Joe Oliveri on the left and they embraced. And what a story. And why am I bringing that story up to you today on Easter Sunday, 2017? I'm telling you that because that's who Jesus Christ is. That's who Jesus is. Jesus comes in the middle of your pain. He comes in the middle of your hardship. He comes in the middle of your problems. He says, I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you. Yeah, you broke the law, but guess what? I'm going to go in there with you. 
And it's in the middle of the storms of life. It's in the middle when John and Peter and they realize, wait, 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 after this. And they realize that they did have a savior, that what Jesus said did come to fruition. And I would say to you this morning, there is one. You are never alone. And if you feel alone, you don't have to be alone because of who Jesus Christ is and what he did on the cross and what he did in that tomb, because the tomb is empty. You know, and you can just keep coming and you could just keep coming and you could just keep coming. Hey, look, we're not, a ch- we're not into religion in this church. We're into relationships. We're into making a difference in people's lives out there. We're into real transformation. Do you understand that? Jesus came to transform our lives. He didn't come to give another religion. He didn't come to say, here's a new set of rules to follow. I have conversations, I'm more out about it, and I promise I'll end in a second. But I'm more open and I'm more vocal than I've ever been as a teacher. Maybe that's because I'm teaching over 20 years now, I just don't really care as much. I don't overstep the bounds, but kids have a lot of questions. And you know what, I'm at that point, people need to know truth. And if you have questions, and you're coming to me with questions, I'm going to give you what I know is the answer. I'm going to give you, because people are searching, and they're clawing, and they're looking. Where is truth? Is there any absolute truth? Can I know beyond a shadow of a doubt there are all these religions, there are all these belief systems? Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, everything begins and it ends with Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. He is the bedrock. He is the one. He is the King of Kings, and He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Alpha, friends, and He is the Omega. And one day, every he will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is risen. He is risen. Let's go, Steve. You do a little research, friends. You do a little research on your own. Maybe you're somebody, you're a skeptic. That's okay. I'd love to have a conversation with you. What are, what are you held up by? Because You can sit down. I know there are there are people are hung up on so many different things. Love to talk to you about that. Whatever those issues are, we don't have all the answers. We're not a pe- we, there are, nobody has all the answers, but we can help lead you in the right direction. I wasn't letting you leave here this morning. Remember what I said. If you remember nothing else, you remember what I said. Faith is not an heirloom. It is not something that when you leave here today, it's your choice. Because God, you know what I you know what I love so much about being Christian. You know what I love so much about God. He said, I'm giving you the choice. I'm not going to make you love me. It's up to you. And you can leave this place and you can go do whatever you want to do. And you can go do all the things that the world says to do. And you can say, all this stuff is garbage. I don't have time for it. But there will come a day when you have to give account for your life. There will come a day. And listen, lastly, lastly, I promise, last thing. One of my favorite writers, Dallas Willard, he's a theologian. He passed a couple years ago, a philosopher at, at UC Berkeley. And this guy said it so, he said so many people just describe to barcode Christianity. We do, what's the prayer that I have to pray to get into heaven? Because once I do that, then I'm good for the rest of my life. I can live that life with you, God, one day when I die. But what about the life right now? And what Jesus offers is real life. Real life, the bread of life. He offers living water for us because we live in a world that is parched. Everywhere we go, people searching, searching. Where can I find real joy? Where can I find real happiness? It's all wrapped up in Him. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.